0: This is episode 22 with Blake Ward on Ancestral Health Radio. Learn to align your genetic makeup for peak health, fitness, and longevity with actionable how-to advice from today's leaders in nutrition, movement, and lifestyle. Join me, your host, James Kevin Broderick, as we bridge the divide between modern technology and our inherent ancestral wisdom. Let's take a walk on the wild side. Did you know that according to the SSA or the Self Storage Association, that the United States has upward of 50,000, yes, 50,000 storage facilities. That's more than five times the number of Starbucks. And right now, at this very moment, there are 7.3 storage square feet of storage space for every man woman and child in the nation that means that it is physically possible to have every american stand and all at the same time under the total canopy of self-storage roofing whoa (laughs) but what does that even mean right that means that we as Americans, are consuming so much stuff that we literally don't know what to do with it all, other than throw it into a dark room to be forgotten or sold to people who want more stuff. And if that's not enough, check out these statistics. And you can go back to the original articles. I've linked to them in the show notes at ancestralhealthradio.com forward slash 22. The average American throws away 65 pounds of clothing Per year that's via huffington post also the average american woman owns 30 outfits one for every day of the month check this out in 1930 that figure was nine nine guys that's from forbes and the last one that i'm going to leave here is the average american family spends seventeen hundred dollars on clothes annually again that was from Forbes as well so again this is telling me that we as a consumerist culture have gone apeshit instead of hunting and foraging, we're spending and buying what happened to creating something from nothing using your hands getting dirty making mistakes and just figuring stuff out for yourself That's why I'm so excited to have Blake Ward of The Seed Store to join me on today's episode of Ancestral Health Radio to discuss the art of working with your hands, of craftsmanship. This tribe is the beginning of a series called The Makers Series, and no, it will not all be linear. Next week won't feature some badass blacksmith, although if you know someone who might fit the bill... Please email me at james at ancestralhealthradio.com. But I will be featuring people who have dedicated their life to working with their hands to create something that transcends their brand and ushers in a time where people are respected for creating small batch goods and services. And I'm calling not just Americans out, but everyone. Okay, what do you create that adds value to your tribe? In today's episode, you'll learn the difference between cannabis and industrial hemp, how to foster creativity and reciprocity through what Blake calls collaborative community, practical tips and personal insight on how to become a maker, and much, much more. Oh, and before I forget, Jeff the Barbarian Ing, congratulations. I need to get in contact with you because you won last week's episode's gift, which was Dr. Perlmutter's, Dr. David Perlmutter's, Grain Brain or Brain Maker, your choice. So again, congratulations, and I'll be in touch shortly. Now on to the show. Blake Ward set out to make the best clothing on the planet from day one. This minute had to, one, be made local, Two, come from natural fibers, and three, be ultra comfy, and four, actually look great. Rare for natural clothing, right? But Blake took the best fabrics on earth and studied the foremost design and construction methods. This was Seed's secret sauce from the very start. The way Blake had somebody stop in their tracks the moment they saw or touched a Seed garment, wow, what is this? became the first words uttered so many times as their eyes opened wide and they tugged on their friends to come see what just took their breath away. Seed's mission is to cause chills down your spine every morning that you walk into the closet and pull seed over your body. Seed exists to ignite human souls through clothing that jumps off the radar with fit and comfort brilliance. By leading the way in local hemp manufacturing, Crop to Top, as Seed calls it, they have created a fun way for people to join their movement towards 2020. Seed's mission? All Seed clothing made from local hemp crops in 2020. Seed's way of life is local to the bone, because what's more communal than growing clothing together right in your own black dirt? From Crop to Top in Calgary, Alberta. Blake, welcome and thank you for joining us on today's episode of Ancestral Health Radio. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am really pumped, as you could tell from our conversation before the interview. This is a really exciting opportunity, guys. Uh, For those listening to this episode, I'm really excited because we had a really great episode with my friend Denby Royal a couple episodes back that I'll link to in the podcast show notes back at ancestralhealthradio.com. But in that show, uh, Denby had mentioned a lot of clothing companies that she believed were doing the right thing, that they were manufacturing high quality products that were sustainable and friendly to the environment. And one of those companies that she had mentioned was Seed Yoga. And I have Seed Yoga founder, Blake Ward on with us today. And I'm really excited to have him on because there is something within the ancestral health community, within the rewilding community that I think many of us have not thought about because there are two sides to this coin. I always talk about this. There's for some, They enter this uh, through biohacking or through paleo or whatever it is, basically through the modern avenue of coming in to ancestral health or rewilding. And then there are people who are all the way on the other side, which I would say, uh, you know, they're more of the primitive skills technicians. And they they delve deep into the unknown as far as uh, Aboriginal lifeways, and I love that, and that's very needed. But we need to kind of find a middle ground. We need to find a way to bridge these two worlds together. And the way I'm finding this is that we need to become craftsmen. We need to relearn not only the primitive skills of our past, but also just the, the regular craftsman skills of our forefathers, like our fathers or our father's fathers or our great-grandfathers. These men were extremely industrious. They knew how to use their hands in ways that we can't even fathom right now. So this is something that I want to put on the map for people is that we're trying to not only create this transition culture, but with this transition culture, we need a new set of skills. And what Blake brings to the table is, specifically is sewing, and I am so grateful for this because this is an area that I think many people can jump into with very little or minimum cost, and and really, it, it offers a sense of sovereignty that many people I just don't think have ever felt. I've never personally made my own clothing, so to have Blake literally touch and create and make the fabric that is on my body, it is so special to me that I just want everybody to know that basically These are the only pants, the pants that Blake gave me that I only wear. I wear basically my Prana pants at work, which are just my essential movement pants to work, and then (laughs) seed, seed yoga, these pants that I have, the Sacred Seed Collection, by the way, which are just damn sexy, I have that I'm going to use pretty much every day. They're going to be my everyday going out clothes. So Blake, I know that was really long and drawn out, but I think it needed to be said. And again, thank you for joining us today on Ancestral Health Radio.
1: You're welcome. I'm excited to be here, James. And and like you said, um, Seed's mission is all about relocalizing production and having us become makers again. And uh, I think that's kind of what you were getting at there in the introduction.
0: Yeah. It, well, you know, it, if you take a look around, it's not hard to see. That most people that that you and I know, well, maybe not you and I, but uh, f- for the typical person, you know, we're in a state of consumption, constant consumption with the media and everything thrown at us. It just seems like the direction that we're going is just kind of take this, consume it, throw it away, and that seems to be the cycle. But in Seed's case, that's, that's not really true, right? How did this all begin? How did you get into sowing? How did Seed... Uh, how was it birthed into creation? Can you give us a little bit of uh, background?
1: I started sewing at my kitchen table one day, uh, as you said in the introduction, and um, it, became, it came out of frustration from just having really crappy yoga clothing available. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a yogi for over 15 years now, and one Christmas, um, I got a gift of Lululemon men's Yoga pants. I think we have the same pair. (laughs) And they are horrendous. Um, They they never felt right. They never looked right. They have this taper that goes actually bell-bottom style at the bottom. It gets looser. And I just, you know, to me, that's not what I wanted to wear. And when I looked around, I couldn't find what I actually wanted. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so I made it, um, I literally bought a sewing machine with no idea how to set it up and, uh, and started seed. And uh, that was about 10 years ago. Seed launched five years ago when I actually learned how to sew enough mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, and we've been
0: taking off ever since. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, also, you, you know, my buddy Stefano, uh, our buddy Stefano Tripney yeah. also is a huge fan of seed Really, uh, how did you decide upon the design of your clothing? I mean, they're so unique. Um, They're kind of tapered at the bottom. They're a little bit baggier in the crotch area to allow for more movement. And then they're kind of, um, I don't know what you call that, uh, just at the waist. There's no buttons. It's kind of gusseted. Is that what you call that? I'm not sure, but it just kind of is elastic around the waist, which is really, really nice. It's not super tight or anything like that, so it doesn't constrict you. How did you come up with that design, ultimately? Because, again, it's just... For me, personally, uh, it catches the eye, and it's one of the more beautiful items of clothing that I've actually seen or felt in quite a long time.
1: Exactly, and that was what was missing for me in yoga apparel and movement apparel and mountain apparel was actually, first off, natural. There's nothing natural, Um, and then secondly, that looked good. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find that combination. If you found something natural, you know, you'd had to go to a bong shop to get a hemp t-shirt. Oh yeah. Right. And, uh, and then it wasn't designed, right? It was this Brown
0: square shirt, super baggy. Yep. With super probably baggy, a exactly. magic mushroom printed on the front or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and
1: then, you know, there wasn't clothing for movement that wasn't made from synthetics and toxic polyester and uh rayon and you know all these chemical clothings that are you know it's just it doesn't work when we start getting hot and sweaty and the chemicals chemicals start to abrade on our skin and as you know 60 percent of what we put on our skin gets absorbed into our body our skin is like a sponge and when we're wearing chemical clothing that abrades and leaches chemicals we're literally eating toxins the 12 hours of the day that we're wearing clothing
0: and especially for those moments when you are doing movement or you are being active and your pores are opening up and you're sweating right because you're it's basically you're just inviting those chemicals in
1: exactly that's that's the prime time for um for our skin to absorb whatever's against it
0: Other than the materials out there, uh, what are some of the other problems you see with the regular industrialized commercial makeup of of clothing?
1: Well, one of the biggest ones um, that's sort of top of mind right now with all the documentaries being produced is third world labor. Yeah, the social Um, awareness. Yeah. And I I mean, there's literally buildings collapsing on sewers, thousands of sewers, just so we can go and buy a five dollar t shirt. Um, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Um, so we're actually we've started a, our own documentary series called Seed Short Docs that uh, we launch on our website, a new video every quarter, and it's it's kind of the opposite side of the coin because everybody now has seen documentaries on Netflix like The True Cost mm-hmm. or you know their local news station um, in Canada here we have. Uh, one that came out called Made in Bangladesh. And it shows the disgusting production factories of, uh, you know, all around the world that are making clothing, not for themselves, they're making it for the first world. And, um, you know, when I when I saw that, I I said, obviously, A, we have to start telling people why we make stuff locally and why that's important. Mm-hmm. And B, it's so much easier to you know, click on a video and watch a three minute video about it um, than to read, you know, a 20 minute blog piece that they would have to read something that I wrote.
0: Just for people who didn't listen to the Denby Royal episode on eco fashion, what exactly are some of the horrors that are happening in some of these third world countries?
1: Well, literally, like I said, there's um, at the Raza Plaza, the, the whole building imploded on the workers. Um... Like you know, picture a bomb going off in a building uh, in North America. We've seen those videos on the news. Um, a building just was not structurally safe, and workers were made to go to work. Um, you know, even given that they saw cracks and
0: yeah, they had mentioned this to their managers, right? To to the people in charge that even they thought that this building was structurally in sound and. That happens a lot. So they they cram people into these buildings. They pay them pennies a day, don't they? Like it's something extremely small.
1: Depends where it is, but yeah, a dollar a day or less in a lot in a lot of the places. And and so we've been talking about building structure and and safety and, and um. But there's actually another side to the coin, which is. Um, like the chemicals that are being used mm. and it's causing dementia and all sorts of psychological disorders and literally they're putting bars on these windows from the second story up because um, workers are <laughs> committing suicide they're head diving um, or they're diving head first God, yeah. you know out of these windows because they're literally going crazy by the chemicals that are in these uh, manufacturing facilities. So like I said, right off the bat, James, like out of sight, out of mind, we don't really know this, right? We just, it's like that four year old that goes to the grocery store with his mother. And, you know, one day he finds out food doesn't come from the grocery store Mm
0: -hmm.
1: on that field trip to the farm, right?
0: And (laughs) it's a rude awakening,
1: absolutely. So we're, uh, we're waking up in the Western world right now and we're realizing okay, where does our clothing actually come from? And these documentaries are going a long way in waking people up to that. And then, you know, moving forward, you know, they're deciding, okay, I'm not buying anything that's not made in Canada anymore, or I'm not buying anything that's not made in North America anymore. And therein lies the problem and the opportunity that there just isn't a ton of local production happening, but that is Seed's mission is to relocalize production and make us makers again.
0: Absolutely. And by doing that, what what exactly do you mean by making it all local? Can you tell us exactly what you have planned for seed?
1: Yeah, what we're working on right now is uh, an initiative where we literally grow a hemp crop right here in Alberta, Canada, where seed is located. And we harvest the crop. Turn it into a textile, which is like a lot of people would recognize fabric on a roll. If you go to your local fabric store, and then from there we know what to do with fabric on a roll. We can cut and sew it into clothing, um, and you know, obviously then retail it and pass it on to our buyers. So we would literally be going from crop to top right here in Alberta.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And there needs to be more companies like that out there doing that. And, you know, because we're always talking about bioregionalism also on this podcast. So things that you can get locally, obviously sourced locally are going to be better all the way around. Right.
1: For sure. And that and for all the reasons that we just talked about out of sight, out of mind is a huge one for me. Um, you know, but then I, I've heard you talk about it with the the fuel that it takes to move commodities around the, the planet um, it is ridiculous. And it's just that easy to make it ourselves. I mean, we're making something here and exporting it. We might as well, you know.
0: I think that's the problem right what What you just brought up is that you just said it's that easy to make it ourselves. That's the problem, I think, is that many people, they're so used to going out going to a store and purchasing an item, and then never having to think about it again, they probably think that building or creating their own garment from scratch is very, very difficult. And I'm sure there is a steep learning curve, or at least, of course, there's going to be a learning curve. But how difficult is it actually to manufacture your own products? It it is really difficult.
1: (laughs) One of the reasons Cedix is so successful is because it's really well-designed natural clothing. And that's not easy. And I guess what I'm saying is, um, it when we become makers again, mm-hmm. like yeah, we might we might get to the point where everybody has a sewing machine in their house again, like when I was growing up, and my mom had a sewing machine, and um, you know the neighbors did. And yep. but I'm not even saying that um, is the mission for us. I, I think it's community made clothing. Right. So. We, you know, we scale down to a local community where we have, one of my missions is to have a hemp plant in every community, and I mean that in in terms of an actual hemp plant in the ground, but also a hemp manufacturing plant um, that can process the hemp, and so communities become self-sustaining that way, but they actually become self-thriving because Just like we talked about um, when it's out of sight, out of mind, you don't really worry about the regulations of what kind of dye did they use in that or how did they actually turn this um, oil from the ground into these leggings Mm -hmm. that my girlfriend's wearing to yoga. Um, But yeah, a hemp plant in every community allows us to be... um, Really aware of what what goes into the things that we consume. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're gonna do ourselves in. I, I think we're a little smarter than that. We're not gonna put toxic dyes into our own river right here if we know, you know, if we're as conscious as we are now. And I believe that we are. We're not gonna we're not gonna you know throw trash into our own backyard.
0: Right. Well, I think it's definitely evolving. You know, uh, I, I know that a lot of people, as, as we keep saying, have their blinders on. But again, it, you know, through this podcast, through Seed, you know, we are slowly opening the eyes of those people. And, you know, when people think of hemp and they think of hemp fiber, I think they immediately think of marijuana. You know, they think of THC. They think of getting high or stoners or whatever it is. Can we dispel mm-hmm. that real quick? Can we just talk about hemp and the many benefits that it really has Aside from from the medicinal properties of of the mother plant, can you can you just talk about hemp for a second and exactly how you use the material and the benefits of using it?
1: Absolutely, and there's a way to distinguish it, and it's starting to be distinguished as industrial hemp. Okay. Um, yeah, um, because obviously, like the marijuana and THC and that whole side of it is actually growing since Colorado had so much success. Yeah. Um, and you know, old grannies that are like now taking THC for their joints and their stomachs and things, you know, a lot of people are getting benefits from it, but that's not what I'm up to. I'm actually, you know, I'm, I don't know that much about marijuana. I'm not a, you know, a pot smoker myself, but, um, but I am super interested in industrial hemp Mm -hmm. and industrial hemp means you're growing a totally different crop than you would for marijuana. You plant a different seed, um, a marijuana crop will grow a couple feet high and a hemp crop will grow literally eight to 10 to 12 feet oh, wow. in height. And that's how you get the long grain fibers, um, uh, that you can actually, uh, make into a textile, which then you make into clothing.
0: Nice. Yeah. Because personally, I don't know much about the material of hemp. You know, I don't know exactly all I know right now is that it feels absolutely amazing on my skin from the pants that you gave me. But other (laughs) than that, um, you know, I don't really know exactly. I remember Denby was saying that it's um, somewhat similar to merino wool in the fact that, you know, not quite as um, antimicrobial or anything like that, but it still has some of these properties that um, allow you to kind of have a, a more minimal type wardrobe, right? Like you can wear this clothing for a few days right without it getting kind of funky because of the antimicrobial properties and and the uh, natural benefits of hemp
1: and antifungal um it it's actually it performs really similar to merino wool um in in all those ways and i mean like you said a couple days until it gets funky i've got like our seed shirts um i only use the best textiles on the planet so the, the textile that we're using and the way that we've um manufactured it, like I've got two t shirts, a black and a natural color seed shirt that I've worn interchangeably for over a month.
0: For sure, Um, yeah.
1: Like they do not get stinky. And I mean obviously, you know, I'm showering and wearing deodorant and um but I wear them around. I I practice movement know, I'm doing yoga, um, you know, and then I lounge as well. But uh,
0: do you, just you brought that up real quick. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, no so so do you do you practice any like um, any holistic hygiene practices or anything like that, or are you still using traditional body care items and things like that on your skin as well too? Just I'm just curious for my own because I, I just got done doing an interview with a wonderful woman. I, I don't know if you know her or not, but her name is Nadine Artemis of Living Libations. And she wrote a book called uh, Holistic Dental Care. And we had her on talking about holistic hygiene. Um, Do do you practice any holistic hygiene, anything like that? Like are you – I heard you mentioned deodorant. Is it still regular like speed stick kind of stuff or just (laughs) –
1: Yeah, no, I'm like head-to-toe natural Okay, awesome. Yeah, for sure. And I mean it's really cute because I've got this um, older lady – Pat, who she lives in the south of Calgary, where we're based, and um, which is you know about an hour drive, but she she makes this handmade deodorant that you know it's so basic. There's about four ingredients, but it's the best stuff I've ever found, and she charges three dollars for a jar of it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's
1: awesome! It's just remarkable. Yeah, so head to toe, from shampoo to toothpaste.
0: Um, yeah, we. We as a household use naturals. Awesome, and that's you know I was just curious because you know um, sometimes people have one area of their life totally focused in, and then you you take a look outside, and then there's you know there's a whole nother another pocket there that they're still working on. So I'm I'm glad to hear that you you still, you have that all under control because I feel like uh, the hygiene aspect is one of the, one of the first areas other than diet that many people venture into when it comes to ancestral health or just uh, taking care of their body with a more holistic mindset. So let's talk about some of the challenges of becoming a maker or some of the things that really we need to relearn to get into the right mindset of becoming a maker which is basically eschewing consumerism and what Denby said in the previous podcast, which was uh, buying less, but buying better. And are there, uh, what are some of the challenges for people who are looking to make this transition into a more natural wardrobe or looking for more natural uh, fibers and things like that to clothe themselves with?
1: Well, look, I think this is a great topic, James. I've actually got an interesting perspective on it because I get asked a lot. Uh, what should consumers look for
0: mm-hmm.
1: out there? Or how can a consumer who doesn't really know a lot about clothing, how can they tell the difference between something natural and something synthetic? Yes. Um, yes. Or, and it, to me, it really starts from the root. And, and maybe that's why our brand is called Seed. But it, if we are actually makers in the world, for focused on what we're making, we don't have to be such conscious consumers mm. anymore. We're just conscious makers. And let me go into a bit of into that a little bit. Please. Uh, to me, it's the onus is on producers to change the world, not consumers. What if I actually authentically make something that I'm aligned with? Yeah. And. Right. And then picture, what if everybody, you know, my neighbor does that, everybody in my town does that, everybody in our province does that or our state, if you're in America. It's, you know, once we start actually making something that we're aligned with, we don't have to be conscious consumers anymore. We're liberated through actually what we produce. And that is showing up in in a cool way um, in something I call the collaborative economy. And what that is, is a, a lot of my friends and I are trading products and services. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like I have a friend who's a chiropractor in town. And I mean, he's amazing at what he does. And I like to think I'm amazing at being a designer. And so when I go for an appointment, I take a pair of pants with me and, you know, and we it's a collaborative economy. We're actually raising each other up through our gifts.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, it's a reciprocal gift economy, and that uh, you know it's funny because that you bring that up because I was just at the farmers market the other day, and I was buying some sauerkraut from my little sauerkraut lady. And there was a woman, and she was kind of taking pictures of all all of this woman's products. I'm assuming she was going to go home and, and make them for herself. But, you know, I said, oh, man, you know, I wish I could just offer my services to you, and, you know, I could help you out a little bit with your health, and we could exchange um, recipes, or uh, you could teach me how to bake make better fermentations. And I used that those three words, uh, reciprocal gift economy. And the woman who was taking the pictures looked over at me. She said, she just looked so confused, like, what? What is that? Or, or she said something along the lines like, oh, those are some big words. <laughs> and, and just left. And I just thought, wow, really? Is this really where I'm at right now? And, you know, I, like, Blake, I would just much rather, yeah, be there um, and just just be exchanging services. That's how, how it was when we were hunter gatherers, we we didn't have this sense of currency, we were just literally exchanging services. So I, I back that idea 100%. And, and if there's any way that we can get that moving forward, I want to be a part of that movement. And um, I, I'm so grateful. I just love doing this also this having this opportunity with the podcast to, to speak to people like yourself who are making these type of changes and, and having this, this deep type of impact on people simply through the things that you are creating and putting out into the world, just like I am with this podcast. So I just want to just want to kind of congratulate you, number one, for what you're doing, and then just just let you know how grateful I am for the materials that you're bringing into the world, Blake, because it's needed. We are needing more makers in this world, and this subject is is something that I, I feel like I'm getting more passionate and more passionate about because, again, less consumerism, more creation, and that is really the focus of of, of this episode and you know, I feel like there's a lot of barriers to entry when we want to begin making, because for me, my mind goes a million miles a minute. I start thinking, oh my God, what kind of materials am I going to use? What kind of sewing machine do I need? Um, who do I need to talk to? W- like everything goes through my mind all at the same time. And then I make the mistake of hopping on Google and then it's <laughs> all downhill from there. So can you give some practical Tips or advice for somebody like myself who really doesn't have any knowledge or experience with sewing whatsoever? How would we get involved with something like this? Would we just go to our thrift store, look around, and purchase the first sewing machine that we see, and then go home and sit down at our kitchen table and start work? Or how would that what would that look like exactly?
1: Definitely, um, you can just kind of <laughs> blindly go out and buy one and and just start. And and that's what kept me back for so long is I had to have everything figured out before I started.
0: Such my problem too.
1: Yeah, and I and I literally sat on the fence for five years, and and that was the issue. So I literally went out, spent thirteen hundred dollars on a brand new four thread serger. Oh wow, nice. Is, yeah, it's like a sewing machine, um, but it has four threads instead of just a single. Okay. Um, so yeah, and then I mean, there's a video actually of me online uh, when we did our Kickstarter when I launched Seed, and it's hilarious because the start of the video is me at the kitchen table trying to trying to figure out how to thread this thing and and so on. It. Um,
0: we'll we'll see what I can do about linking that up. If you if you hook me up with that, I'll, I'll see if I can't put that in the show notes for people to uh, check out to show that everybody at some point or another is a beginner. So basically the moral is that we all start somewhere so from there I mean what, what did you do
1: from there I quickly realized I didn't know what I was doing and <laughs> okay. I had this dream of making the world's best clothing from day one mm-hmm. and um, so there is an obvious link in the chain missing from being a you know a good designer and a good sewer and so I realized that my auntie is a great sewer and she lives in the same town. So I spent some time with her and worked on patterns and, um, and sewed up some cute little mittens for my mom for Christmas and, um, you know, just some really basic stuff. And then I would kind of hack away at making a T-shirt again for, for my dream of making seed and realize, okay, I don't really know how to put the collar on this shirt. Mm-hmm. And so what people can do is you can find, like, community sewing courses. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, that's actually one of the things that helped me advance the quickest. I would go to a community sewing course a couple times a week, and it would be, you know, it was in this woman's basement. She had four sewing machines down there, and it was me and there. three Russian <laughs> ladies. Okay, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were making shirts, these collared shirts for their husbands, and I was in there with this dream of, you know, making the world's best clothing. That's so cool. And, uh, but I learned a lot of the technical aspects of it. Um, And I also put myself in a community college for fashion design. Oh, perfect. Yeah, literally only took two courses, Um, but, you know, I've sort of dabbled in a lot of areas and touched my toe in the pond of, you know, a lot of things that just helped me piece it together. And like I said, it's taken 10 years to get to this stage today, but um, I definitely think I know what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you say that, that uh, it took you five years to begin Seed because I mean, my story is very similar with Ancestral Health Radio in the fact that I felt like I needed to know because running a business online is still relatively new, and so the the marketing and the you know the know how behind all this is still emerging, and you know so I wanted to know everything that I could, and what that did was stall my progression. Guys, listen up. Mm-hmm. That's what stalled my progression. If anybody's uh, used to listening to any Ido Portal um, videos. He know you know that he's not a fan of planning, he's a fan of doing, and it took me four years to launch Ancestral Health Radio. I mean, <laughs> four years, guys. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Like, imagine where I could be now. So I just, I, you know, I just wanted to highlight that fact that you know, don't let information be a crutch from stopping you from doing what you're passionate about, because that's extremely important to understand that. Um, really it's trial and error. You just go do something, you fail, and then you go do it again. But that's why I have this podcast. That's why I have Blake here so that we can somehow lessen that learning curve as much as possible so that in order, so that we can become creators. And you mentioned something, Blake, that was really, really important and something that's a huge tenant to becoming a maker. And this, this kind of series that I'm, that I'm going to bring, bring onto ancestral health radio. And this transition culture is that we need mentors that we need to uh, find the people, the elders within our community that can teach us these transition skills, right? Like you were in a basement with three Russian ladies and uh, you were the only male there. And maybe we can talk about that in a second, kind of the the taboo of sewing and feminism and masculinity. But, uh, you know, I just think it's great that people understand that, you know, we don't do this on our own. Again, it takes community. It takes more than one person to build these type of skills. So, um, something that I, I, am going to focus on in a future episode now that we brought this up is apprenticeship and mentorship and that how essential that is to, to cultivating and developing these skills. Uh, do you kind of agree with me on that?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, sewing is kind of one of those things that's gone away, uh, in the Western Western world, especially, you know, when we started importing our clothing, um, you know, the sewing machine left the house just like the piano left the house. And those evenings of, you know, the family getting together around the piano got replaced by the television. Um, so since sewing left the house, I think, you know, that's kind of my, been my mission since I started Seed and got this really excited euphoria from making my own clothes Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to teach people you know and there's so many people that are like um that come up to me when we're at a a trade show or a market and they say hey can you like can you tell me how you learned or can you teach me how to sew and it's like these cool like younger guys that are inspired by awesome a, a man who sews and designs clothing and and does it really well
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, you've become an inspiration for for men looking to enter what is thought to be more of a feminine skill, you know? And, you know, it's funny because, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it, um, I have one other person that I know that sews, and it's also a man. It's one of my best friends, John, and he makes some of the best handmade, uh, materials or goods that I've seen like, you know, he finds the best like my wallet, for example, it's made out of a single piece of leather and he designed it and made it himself and it's gorgeous and You know, it's like a $60 wallet, but I tell people, you know, like hey, you know, that was handmade He found the best materials. That's a steal, you know, and it's important to understand that it's gonna be a little bit more expensive for some of the things that you want if you want higher quality you know and that that's something that you should be looking for seed pants for example are uh, at a premium price but for good reason because the materials the quality the sourcing and everything is there i want people to also recognize that 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 you're paying for the not not only the quality but the talent and the craftsmanship that really goes into these goods
1: mhm and like i said we're not paying our worker our sewers here in Calgary, we're not paying them a dollar an hour, yeah, or a day, whatever. No, way less than a dollar an hour. Uh, yeah, dollar <laughs> a day in some cases, um, or twenty dollars a month. Like, how you're making that? Yeah, and they, get to, making, and they get you know, to go see
0: their families, right? Please tell me you let them, you know, leave to go see their families because that, you know, that's important too.
1: Their working conditions are incredible, and you'll see on our website, theseedstore.ca, uh, our video. Mm-hmm project that i mentioned earlier called seed short docks we just went into our local sewing uh, factory here in calgary and took our camera crew and did some interviews with the workers and so you're gonna see how you know how incredible our sewers are um you know how we treat them they get a lunch hour i mean you know it's it's these crazy things that in North America we're like, well, obviously you get a lunch hour and yeah, you get you to know. eat. Yes, you you get you get a break. But to juxtapose that to the other videos that people have seen online, like the true cost, it's really going to drive home the message of like, oh wow, this is what I'm paying for. I'm paying mm-hmm. for people's lives. I'm paying for non toxic clothing. I'm paying for something ethical that I actually align with. Um, and I'm also paying for something that's going to last me 40 times longer than that big box store t shirt. Yeah. Um, right. So they're getting actually a better bang for their buck when you actually extrapolate the amount of time the clothing lasts for. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I keep going back to the design also of your clothing because they are so striking. And, you know, I'm wondering, uh, did you have any inspiration did, did you have anybody that you kind of looked to as far as clothing that you were impressed by that you kind of wanted to model seed after or was it a totally unique and original idea
1: it, it so much of it came out of frustration that there wasn't what I was looking for um, that I, I guess I drew inspiration for the antidote pant which is our number one selling clothing item there are these really funky uh, hemp yoga pants that are also used for mountain climbing, hiking, movement, um pretty much anything that you do, uh you can wear these pants, but where my inspiration came from is I was a little skateboarder and snowboarder and wakeboarder as a kid nice. and you'll see some of those cues, you know, through the tapered leg and then start to get a little looser in the the waist and the hip area in the antidote pant and that just comes because you actually don't want to be tripping over yourself, um, you know, in the below the knee area. You don't want a lot of fabric hanging around there.
0: That's exactly um, what I didn't like about the prana pants is that exactly. the, the fabric was just – I kept having to roll up my, my pants, you know. Uh, and so it's funny with yours. It's not funny at all. It's actually genius. And I love it is that it's a little bit more elastic towards the bottom and I can just kind of pull them up a little bit. And they're kind of, I mean, don't laugh at me guys, but they're kind of like little capris at that point, but they're apps. They're so comfy and they're so, uh, breathable. And I can, again, as soon as I hopped. Okay. So I don't know. Have you ever tried on a pair of Vibrams, uh, five fingers before? Yeah, I have a pair. Okay, perfect. So I think a lot of people listening, they also may have experimented with these gecko shoes that I'm talking about. And, you know, when you put them on for the very first time, I don't know about you, Blake, but for me, I felt like an immediate ninja. I w- I just wanted to go outside and <sighs> climb and run and do these things that, you know, probably would have gotten me really hurt. As soon as I put on your pants so I have a huge open floor here in my living room. I have no furniture. It's, you know, it's just completely open and I have a huge wool rug. And what I do, as soon as I, I put these pants on, I immediately started a rough house with my, my pup, my dog here, and then just roll around and do some mobility exercises. It just had this feeling instantly that when I put these on, oh my God, this is it. This is the fit. This is the style. This is kind of, um, I don't know, man. It's just, you know, it's that that like sound logic. Like when I heard rewilding or paleo or the caveman diet or I saw the gecko shoes or whatever it was, it was that instant connection, like you said, to that clothing or that item or whatever that resonated with your personality. And again, those pants for me, man, they just feel, number one, amazing, super comfy, like you said. And then I, can, I just feel like I can just go conquer the world in these damn things.
1: And and you should see when we do um, markets and trade shows and people try the pants on it, like instantly a huge smile breaks <laughs> yeah. over their face and they start dancing and they like kind of tug on their friend and they're like doing little dance moves and doing a jig and <laughs> yeah. lifting their knees up to their elbows, you know, like they, they just feel free again. And I remember, like you said, the Vibram Five Fingers when I tried those on at our local mountain store um i wore them around for about 10 minutes and they felt really weird but freeing at first Mm -hmm. and then i remember putting on my shoes i wore in there uh which was like a pair of bands and they felt like cement bricks
0: (laughs) i was gonna Um, say did they feel like little tiny coffins for your feet (laughs) they
1: did And and i have that experience like i literally don't wear other pants other than the antidote pants yeah and when I do, I have that same experience. I'm like, why can I not
0: move my hips? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. That's a that's the same thing that I noticed too. Is that immediately? And if you haven't experimented with these shoes, when you do, you put them on for the first time, and your foot, being so constrained to you know these uh, cement blocks or coffins that we're talking about, um, you know, your foot has never had a chance to quote-unquote breathe it hasn't had a chance to expand and really fill itself out unless you walk barefoot regularly so when you put on these these vibram five fingers it forces your toes out into proper alignment so really you're not used to that so it may in the very beginning like blake said in the first 10 minutes may feel a little uncomfortable or weird but as you adjust to it you realize wow um uh, it, it's really just a more robust, more intelligent way of walking because, again, you can feel every rock, every crack, everything on the ground. And it just offers, like you said, a sense of freedom.
1: Yeah. And the dexterity that you can actually flex your toes and like grip around a boulder as you're climbing up a, a hill, it, you know, you just don't get that out of a flat soled. Shoe.
0: Yeah, I think it, it it kind of changes your perspective. You put on a shoe like that, and and you know, coming from the outside in, you think, oh, this just looks really weird. This just shoe, <laughs> just the design looks really weird. And then you put it on, and you're like, oh my god, this is it. This is exactly this is what I've been looking for. This this fills every need out there that I thought that I would need in a shoe. So, um, that's kind of how I feel about your pants. I'm just really excited about them. Just so everybody knows before the call, I told Blake that, um, I only really, I have three pair, four pairs of pants, right? So I have a, a pair of really heavy, uh, denim, like from Japan, you know, it's the selvage kind and really I can't move it all in them. They basically just stay in my closet and they're like $250 pairs of jeans. I, I can't even believe I made that purchase. This years ago. And then I have a regular pair of like gap jeans, which I know Blake is going to kill me for saying that. Um, but they're old and I'm just wearing the shit out of them. And then, um, I have my prana pants, which I, I wear, I used to wear almost exclusively. And now my new favorite pair of pants, which are the sacred seed, um, pants, uh, by by seed and and can you explain those pants uh, for me exactly like what went into the design how did you think of it and and what exactly um can you explain the symbol that is on the crotch of those pants for people to like what are the the style differences between the two and why did you choose that
1: totally there's a, a really cool shri yantra on the gusset which is the crotch piece for those who don't know what a gusset is um yeah, and it's it's literally positioned right in your root. So if you're into the chakras, um, you would understand that, you know, we have these chakras that align up the spine and, um, you know, each one has different energies. But for me, the Sri Yantra, which is like a sacred geometry um, image, um, based on mathematics and, you know, um, I'm based laid over the flower of life and other sacred geometry. Yes. Yeah, so, so this
0: this sacred geometry. Why did you choose it exactly?
1: The Sri Yantra is a super powerful sacred geometry design, and for me, it made a lot of sense to put it in the gusset, which is aligned right at the root of our chakra system. Yeah. Um, and and we also added a, a cool little pocket trim piece on there too. Um, just to sort of make it stand out from the signature antidote pant. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really, the basis of the sacred seed collection came from this thought that I had, which is what if clothing was sacred? What if it was that special to us where we actually got a tingle down our spine when we pulled it on in the morning?
0: Oh, I love that.
1: And I think we've lost that connection. Um, You know, if we look at, if you study anthropology, you look at all these tribes and cultures around the world and they put on uh, the tribal clothing for their ceremony once a month and dance around and, and it's literally sacred clothing. And I mean, as a yoga practitioner, I had these Lululemon pants and what's the full name of Lululemon? lululemon athletica Yep. and so it's athletic apparel and i'm inside of this yoga class which to me is a spiritual and traditional practice and i'm wearing athletic gear it, it just never aligned to me so i made the sacred seed collection to make special clothing that people actually believed in again and and felt something real about
0: yeah. And, and the clothing that you create again is absolutely beautiful. And guys, if you're interested in checking his materials out and seeing what Blake is really up to, um, I definitely encourage you to go do that. It's the and it, it's really beautifully designed, high quality material. And again, like I said, pretty much exclusively the only pair of pants I plan on wearing from this moment forward. And Blake, you know what? I, I again, I want to, I I want to uh, just thank you for, for sharing your time with me and the audience today. And I hope that the audience really gets something out of this, this idea that, again, we need to come back into ourselves and create something and offer this to the world that makes it a positive impact, not only on the individual level, but on the global level as far as environment. Because it's that blind eye that we keep talking about during this episode. We need to awaken our senses and awaken our consciousness to, again, this idea of sacred clothing. I love that idea. It's just so powerful. And really, I, I think it is sacred. Because for me, clothing has always been something extremely special to me. I don't know what it is, but I've always had this, uh, I don't know, call it an eye for beauty or an eye for aesthetics. And I've had had—I've always struggled with how do I find this medium or transition ground between uh contemporary clothing and this kind of like eco hippie fashion clothing that's out there right now and i I think i i found it in seed so i just want to congratulate you on the on the design the quality the material and the fact that you're really making an impact out there as far as um looking at this in a holistic perspective
1: thanks james and there's so much more to come uh I can't wait for everybody to see what's on the horizon for us too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you know what? Real real quick before before we go, I do like to sometimes finish these uh, interviews off with a final question as and, and keep it specific to the topic that we're doing. But if you could offer your best advice for someone who wants to get into sewing and wants to become a creator and a maker and start – really truly becoming a craftsman or craftswoman themselves, how exactly do you think somebody should begin doing that? Quit your day job. <laughs> <laughs> do something fun. Do something that you
1: love. And not just to be a sewer, like if you have a passion inside you that says, it's this voice that says, I wanna be a sewer, I wanna make clothing, then follow that and you know seek out other local sewers Check your auntie, your, your mom might be able to teach you some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's courses at community colleges. But honestly, on a bigger scale, just quit your day job and do something fun. Find out your passion and go after it. I'm not saying quit, quit your day job tomorrow, but don't give the next 30 years of your life to something that you don't really care about while keeping on the shelf that true passion.
0: Absolutely. Because deep inside of all of us, guys, we are all creators. We all have this gift within us. Uh, Just because you haven't found your niche yet does not mean that this creative instinct is not within you. We are intuitively creators. We are naturally gifted in this way. We are stewards of this planet. So it is our duty, I believe to usher in a new way or, or a new culture for people to understand that, that, uh, creation is the ultimate gift that we can give to our fellow man. So again, um, Blake, this, I think this was a beautiful episode in a great introduction to this series. And, uh, just so people are wondering what some of these other transition skills or some of these other craftsman skills are, you may already be very familiar with them. You know, things like woodworking, uh, carpentry, you know, uh, being an electrician or a mechanic, things that, that are, uh, what, what are considered blue collar jobs, I think are extremely important for bringing that skill or, or at least bringing this transition culture to life. Because again, um, we can't go from technology immediately into primitive technology. We need to go from technology to this transition to then something a little bit more primitive So, and I think that's kind of where, where Blake is in this whole thing is he's helping us make that transition into sacred clothing and I'm so grateful for that so uh, I think that wraps up today's episode guys, I'm James the Hairless A. Broderick along with Blake Ward of the theseedstore.ca signing out from Ancestral Health Radio and until next time, remember to take a walk on the wild side Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ancestral Health Radio. If you like the podcast, then do me a quick favor and head over to iTunes to leave an honest rating and review of the show. This helps improve the show's ranking and visibility with other would-be hunter-gatherer gardeners just like yourself. But if you can't do that, I'll totally understand. We're still cool. But maybe you could share this episode on your favorite social media network or at the very least, continue the conversation with myself and the tribe on the official Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. But whatever you do, remember to check out all the resources mentioned earlier in this episode by reading the show notes at AncestralHealthRadio.com.